Welcome to the Young IPA podcast for Friday, June the 19th. I'm James. This is Pete. Get a run different it order is, of opening words there, James. Well, you know, I'm, cool. I'm just going to throw people off the scent yeah. for a second. You know, just this podcast is constantly evolving, constantly getting better. <laughs> so things are going to change. All right. Episode right. 172. Uh, fun show today. We have got Richard Reardon, the Shadow Assistant Minister for Regional Victoria and Agriculture here in Victoria for the Save Our Pubs campaign. Mm. A lot of pubs getting together. They're basically civil disobedience or rebelling against Daniel Andrews' uh, lockdown restrictions on hospitality industry. So we're just going to be talking to him about a few of those issues. Uh, basically, the inconsistencies in Daniel Andrews' approach to coronavirus uh, restrictions and so on, Pete. Mm, and he brings with him a scoop from, I think, the Auditor General's office about the cost of barriers in the country. Yeah. Uh, great interview, good quiz. Make sure you check that out. Yeah, the um, Schlicks are back and it's a Friday show. We like making it fun, but... There were some stats that came out of the Australian Bureau of Statistics yesterday, which make for some pretty grim reading, but it is important to know because of just the the scope of Australia's economic problems. Exactly right. We can't make this fun. This is just is what it is. Almost half a million Australians aged 15 to 24 are not in full-time education and are not working as uh, Dan Wild it was who said yesterday in the IPA's coronavirus economic update. This is a humanitarian tragedy of biblical proportions. The unemployment rate has increased to 7.1%. Now, the IPA estimates that the true unemployment rate is 13.6%. Uh, I might hit you with a couple more stats. 623,000 people have left the labour force since March. Uh, and 1.1.2 million jobs have been lost between March and May, including jobs where the worker worked zero hours for economic reasons. So pretty bad stuff, James. Yeah, it's really sad. And there's so many people that are suffering. And if you've been listening to what the IPA has been saying for a while, there's always the headline unemployment rate, which is 7.1%, which is already bad. But then when you start talking about just people that don't show up in that statistic, people yeah. have just left the workforce entirely, then it gets up to the 13% territory that you were talking about. And once again, people go... Uh, people that want restrictions removed or oh, they want to sacrifice grandma to save the G GDP mm. or they're being really selfish and stuff. Sorry, like 13% of Australians are out of the workforce. That's a real unemployment rate. There's half a million young people suffering, as Pete just pointed out. These are the people we need to talk about and that is not being selfish to say we want to make sure they can get back to work quickly. That's exactly right. And the point as we make every time we speak about this is that it's not for some people, it doesn't matter a few months unemployment, but for some people, it really does, and they will never recover from this. So yeah, for sure, terrible stuff. Now, do you want me to hit you, James? I read a couple of good articles during the week about the about the lockdowns. Uh, I was just going to go with one more stat, but I do want to hear those articles. So yep. a while ago, we talked about how over fifty percent of Australia's workforce was either like directly employed by the Commonwealth and state governments or local councils in receipt of job seeker or job keeper. That's now fifty four point three percent. So there's yep. more people that relying on the state for income than are in the private sector generating money for the state to provide people with income exactly so right. there's you know that can't go on forever obviously exactly right that dropped from about 72 percent when they'd realized they'd stuffed up the job keeper thing but then it was below 54 percent which it is now yeah. so it has gone up a little bit which is a worry now these pieces i was talking about james there's a piece in the wall street journal and in the guardian during the week the uk guardian which we know the guardian of course was initially against the lock, no, sorry, for the lockdown and, and calling anyone who was in favour of it a uh, boomer remover or whatever it was. Anyway, they had a piece by Larry Elliott last Sunday, who which was called, um, which was called. I haven't actually got the title here, but it's a, it's a in 
It attacks the lockdown and it said it has become clear that there is no such thing as the science when it comes to COVID-19. Unemployment, uh, the crisis has deepened Britain's class, ethnic, gender and generational divides. Governments will conclude that the economic, social, health and educational costs of full lockdowns are too high and that somehow we have to learn to live with COVID-19. So it's an excellent article. Check it out. And there was was the title? I'm just kidding. (laughs) You got me then for a second. Uh, I was like, I was like, I just told him about it. Anyway, what was it? And I haven't got it. Uh, So, and the other one with the Wall Street Journal. uh, It's time. If you want the title, it's called "It's Time for a Major Reopening." Um, Now, this, sorry, it's called the data are in. It's time for a major reopening. Now, data plural in this case, James. I am always confused on the is VR on data. Yeah, Uh, no matter what I pick, it's wrong. Yeah. Oh, I'm not 100% either, but this in this context, it means plural. All right, let's get to the article. <laughs> by David Henderson and Jonathan Lipow. Uh, and it just talks about the studies being flapped around by uh, the New York Times and Washington Post by, from the Chicago University of Chicago is outdated. And it comes up with four new analyses that uh, show that the initial projections are about the lockdown are seriously underestimated the cost. The, fi- that, the key bit... That finding that the benefit of the social distancing and lockdown is only $250 billion casts major doubt on the value of lockdowns and even social distancing as a method of reducing the spread of COVID. While we can't yet estimate a specific figure, the economic cost of social distancing and lockdowns will likely be more than $1 trillion. So check that out. We were right. The lockdowns have been terrible. Yeah, because Gideon got a fair bit of uh, heat, I would say, fair from... Bit. Some prominent left-wing commentators when the IPAs begin to end the lockdown now video went out. Like a whole lot of people supported it and got in touch with Gideon to say what a good video it was and what an important point it was to make. But, you know, you do talk about some people like The Guardian that were having a go at him and now The Guardian are going, hang on, maybe he was onto something. And Mm. we're not hoping for like a, you were right the whole time, Mm. would be nice, but... It's the turning of the tide and it's always good when we talk about restrictions being eased. When the Guardians start calling for it themselves, there's not too many people out there on the shut it down till we have a virus, uh, sorry, till we have a cure camp. Uh, and if the Guardian are sold off for racial justice, which we will get into later in the show, <laughs> at least we'll always have this article. Now, yeah, uh, cancer culture, still going. And Ooh. I want to start off with... This was like the craziest. This to me was just what is going on? Yeah. How is this getting cancelled? Colonial Brewing Company. It's an IPA if you drink it. Uh, I'm not like I'd never heard of it before, but Colonial Brewing Co. A few people I know drink it. They were attacked on Twitter by Twitter mob because Colonial Brewing Co. It's got the word colonial in it. Please change your name. And a family-owned, it's a family-owned business. Uh, they ship all around Australia. And the Melbourne liquor chain Black Hearts and Sparrows have taken it down from the shelves and pledged to donate profits from remaining stock to worries about the Aboriginal resistance. Colonial Brewing Co. They're having a discussion right now whether or not they want to change their name. Shard D'Souza, who is a writer who's written for the Saturday paper and The Guardian, is claiming this as a big win. Apparently, he's been pushing for it for a few years, which is a questionable way to live your life. But, you know, uh, horses for courses, I guess. I don't think Colonial Brewing Car are going to end up changing their name because if there's one thing I've seen, it is the flood of support, the flood of new sales coming into Colonial Brewing Car going, please do not change your name. This is is how you defeat cancel culture. You reward the people that stick by you. We talked last week about how Gone with the Wind became the number one selling chart, uh, selling movie on Amazon. This is our version. So they said they were going to change it, though. So you reckon they I th- won't I thought they, Last I checked, they were discussing changing it. I okay. didn't think they'd reached a decision. Well, their view, the reason they're called Colonial is because they reckon, and they, they reckon that 
they were going to, so they're based in Margaret River and they're colonising a wine producing region uh, brewery, which to me is not a great name anyway. That doesn't, I mean, it doesn't sell to me. But uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, this one's different because it's like, you know, you're not going after a statue and chucking it in the river. You're going after a small business mm. and it's and a real, beer. Like if you go, if you want to bring the Australian people onto your that's way of thinking, it's don't take away their beers. That's exactly right. What was the other thing you said? Oh yeah. So yeah. Oh, look, it'd be interesting to see if they didn't change it, that'd be huge because we talk all the time and Rita Panny had a great tweet about this during the week. That cancel culture is linked to coward culture, yeah. And all these powerful sporting organisations and Netflix and ABC and all this stuff—if they just actually said no, we're not going to do that—the whole thing would fall uh, on its on its backside. Yeah. One thing I have liked about the Colonial Brewing Co. controversy is the amount of politicians that are not afraid to crack open a, uh, a tinny of yeah. Colonial. I saw Andrew Hasty, friend of the show on Sky News, bring on a six pack for him <laughs> and Kieran Gilbert. We should have done cracked it. Cracked open it on the show. Uh, that was some good footage. I mean, shout out to that ABC journo from a while. I was going to say that. Yeah, ABC journo from two weeks ago we made fun of for saying, I'm so sick of seeing politicians drink on camera. Bad week for you because yeah. there's going to be a lot of them. Yeah, I, I, I forgot that woman's name. I was just trying to think of it then. Um, but we really missed an opportunity not bringing Frost on the podcast. This was our big moment. For people that can't watch right now, Peter's eyes have dilated completely. There is yeah. no iris remaining. <laughs> it's just pure intense. We could have been drinking right now. I just thought we were better than that. Yeah, I just don't drink IPAs. Sorry. I thought about it and I'm like, ah, then I'm just going to feel sick and bloated for the rest of it. I think it's a whole... Is it just one type of beer, is it? Well, I just I know if I drink it, the rest of the podcast is going to suffer for me just like... Holding back burps. Anyway. A lot of that. Sorry, that's not good listening for anyone. <laughs> go, now, on, go on by Freedom Beer. I want to move on to another product, uh, target of cancel culture, which uh, you got fired up about, which was Josh Thomas. Yeah. Josh Thomas does, like, you know, no one deserves it, but he deserves it. Um, he tweeted out, hey, Australia, are we still chill with... Oh, so, I mean, Josh Thomas is a comedian. I guess everyone know who he is. Mm. What's his show called? Please yeah. Like Me. That's right. See, and his like show's that. also called Please Like Me. That's uh, a, a bit of a joke. It's a good one. We're in over Pete's head. I knew you would know what the show was called. Yes. It's a great job. Because I'm like, you know, <laughs> involved with culture. But anyway, Pete, <laughs> continue. Okay. So Josh Thomas tweeted that, how Australia, we still chill with this. And he pictured a, a picture of Coon Cheese. So Coon Cheese is a brand of cheese, obviously. Uh, and So he was trying to get another business cancelled as well, just like the, the beer people. Edward Coon was an uneducated Russian immigrant who worked as a factory hand and the patent was launched in his name 10 years after the cheese was circulated. I'm not exactly sure how the cheese company started being called that anyway. Isn't his name Edward Coon? Yeah, but I wasn't clear from this report I read that he was the actual owner. So, right. But it's named after him. Like it's not... You know, yeah, it's not because like it's, just it's, it's a it's a weird name for a cheese. I'm yeah. not I'm not not saying that. <laughs> it's yeah. a strange old name. We had an American exchange student with us when I was a teenager who could not believe yeah. that that was the name of a cheese. It would have blown his mind. But it's not like it's named after a guy named Edward Coon. Anyway, so he was trying to get that cancelled, uh, and then in response, he got cancelled. Uh, because someone replied to him almost straight away with a clip of him talking about diversity in acting in 2016. Big Saul, do you want to roll the tape, mate? So it's like, Josh, you know, like, what, what do you want the 7-Eleven worker to look like? And it's like, um, do you make them Indian? Or is that offensive? Or then if you make them white, is that like a bit like you're lying, really? Like... 
those first lifers at the first pregnant pause kind of told on themselves a little bit, I would say. What do you mean? Just yeah, just like the second they saw where the joke was going, that was one you want to stifle down. But anyway. See, I, I reckon that's one of those ones where everyone's like, ooh, you know, but like what is actually racist about that? Like how is he, like what is the- Not ad- my favourite uh, can anyone answer the qu- on this one. <laughs> can anyone answer the question though? Like what is he meant? Is he meant to hire Indian people to be 7-Eleven people? There's a little bit of is like- Is this the direction you want to take this conversation? <laughs> Yeah. All right, fair enough. Like, to me, like, what is he actually getting... Like, has anyone explained what is racist about that? Uh, it's just, you know, it, much like I'm, I'm feeling right now, it's just like, why would you bring this up? Like, I don't know why he, he decided to answer it like that. And then you also got, like, uh, Michelle Laurie, who was also calling for it. Uh, then someone posted up that Michelle Laurie once said the blackface has no cultural relevance in Australia, which I'm sure is news to the producers of Hey, Hey, It's Saturday. But it's this kind of thing of... When you get into a mud wrestle... You're never going to come out clean. Like if you're all in on cancel culture, someone's going to look through your tweets and your old sayings because they want to bring you down because you try to bring one of their products down. And if everyone's going through each other's history and like, you know, we talked about The Guardian and now 11,000 people are signing the petition to bring down the Manchester Guardian because they were not a fan of Lincoln and... How many people? Uh, there was 11,000 people on the petition I saw. So the Guardian should be cancelled because Manchester Guardian was not a big fan of Abraham Lincoln and uh, was founded using the profits from cotton plantations. Guardian, also something that can stoke the coals of a cancel culture call out. Anyone that opens their themselves to trying to cancel someone else, you're opening yourself up to getting cancelled yourself. And it's just, you know what? Why don't we just treat everyone, what they're doing right now, what they're saying right now, what their actions are right now, because no one's going to come out looking great from Twitter. Uh, like, let's go see what you did 10 years ago. I reckon he's just pointing out the stupidity of the whole thing. There's literally not an option for him that's not offensive. He either chooses a stereotype or he chooses a white person. And everyone's like, oh, why would you choose a mm. white person? So for me, he's just called them out on the stupidity of the whole thing. Uh Onto the Guardian, you started this, James Bolt. I I might have manifested this, which makes me feel bad because I just uh, said there should be no cancel culture, but I may have breathed this into existence. Yeah, so I mean, you know, that's they like let's cancel the Guardian. Let's we're going to talk. No, about no, no, let's not cancel the, the Guardian. Oh, I mean, that's <laughs> like I'm joking, but like, and if but based on this logic, why aren't we? Why is the Guardian still printed? Why isn't the Democrats as a political party disbanded because yes. they supported slavery and they were on the wrong they side of history? The, they were the secessions from the South. That's right. They're on the wrong side of history with the civil rights movement. Yeah, uh, and we're going to get into what they were wearing the other day. Uh, but now this is this is carrying on. So let's get on to the one that has really captured my imagination. Oh, I, got any more I, I just have one more thing okay. and I want to look at a camera. I think I've done this before on the show, but I want to look at the camera right now. I'm looking at my cameras. If you're the kind of person that looks through people's social media history or things they did 20 years ago to find the thing that will cancel them, find a better way to live your life. That's just no way to live. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's not... It, uh, I mean, that, that's the thing. Like, like so, attack them on what they just said rather than, well, if you look at what this thing you said 15 years ago and what you thought was a private conversation was, there will be some changes. Yeah, exactly right. And it's like, uh, what is that? Does that make the world less racist? Like, yeah. does that, you know, does that actually help anyone living in African American community or living mm. in indigenous community? Uh, I'm with you on that. Swing low, sweet chariot, James. Yes. So England rugby bosses, now this is breaking news, so you might not have heard this one. England rugby bosses are expected to call on fans to drop singing, so they haven't officially done it yet, to drop singing Swing Low Sweet Chariot as their unofficial anthem because of its associations with slavery. The RFU has stated we need to do more to achieve diversity and we are determined to accelerate change and grow awareness. Now this one fired me up, James, because I love having a few froths and singing at sport. 
mm-hmm. and I'm obviously not an England rugby fan, but it's a beautiful song. And yeah. I want to run through a few historical facts about Swing Low, uh, Sweet Chariot, written by Wallace Willis, who was a slave, and it is a, was a source of inspiration and hope for African Americans during the 19th century. Some believe it was it, its lyrics referred to the Underground Railroad, the freedom movement that helped black people escape from Southern slavery to North America and uh, North United States and Canada. It reemerges in anthem during the Civil Rights Movement. And the Poms started singing it because they had this player in the 80s called Martin Fire. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Right. His nickname was Chariots because he was really fast mm. and he was a black guy. So they started singing it like to honour one of their black players. It's a beautiful song about slavery and we're not going to sing it because it's like about slavery. It's like, I don't know. So... Music history professor Arthur Jones added, I feel like the story of American chattel slavery and this incredible cultural tradition built up within a community of people who feel victims and often seen as incapable of standing up for themselves is such a powerful story. I want the whole world to know about it, but apparently not everyone does. Yeah, if you cancel sweet, low, sweet, Swing Low Sweet Chariot, uh, that's bad news for Huskell Choirs everywhere. Is it? Is that it a big is one? an absolute staple of the game. Um, it's got just like, it's so... Sort of, oh, are you going to say another thing? No, 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 that was it. I was moving on. It's just like... This is a beautiful thing about like it's about hope and, you know, dreams and like the indomitability of the human spirit and how better way to teach a kid about slavery than go and listen to Pom sing it and then go originally. <laughs> there are a few better ways, I can imagine. <laughs> but is there? Is there? <laughs> uh, maybe a book about it. <laughs> That's what I mean, but you learn differently. You learn more from singing, listening to a song and how beautiful it is and the fact that they could write something like this, even though they're in the, the worst conditions imaginable. Mm-hmm. And then you can explain to them, you know, so this was a song about slavery and this is what slavery is. This is what the civil rights movement was. Uh, and that is, and but you know, even under those conditions, they could still produce this beautiful piece of music. To me, that is a fantastic way to teach kids about slavery. And the fact that these people are honouring this song, I don't know. Like, how can you listen to them sing that and think the world would be better if they weren't singing that? I guess is what I'm saying. And one more kicker. Sorry, I don't know. If I've really gone about this. In 1939, Nazi Germany's Reich Music Examination Office added the song to a listing of undesired and harmful musical works. Well, there you go. So That should say it all. RFU and the Nazis. So to sum up cancel culture chat, it is uh, sing as loudly as you can, swing low, sweet chariot, yeah. and no more mud wrestling on cancel culture. And Different by, form of wrestling. By a colonial froth. Yes. Different form of wrestling. What type of wrestling? I want it sumo. Let's have sumo wrestling. No more rod wrestling. Bring back sumo wrestling. Yeah. Uh, all right. Likes and dislikes this week. Just stuff we've liked around the world. Stuff we've disliked around the world. Pete, what is your like of the week? Oh, look, I'm scrolling down quickly. I don't Would you like me to go mine? No, no, I'm good. Oh, no, this is a good one. So the fines penalty. So we've been talking about cancel culture and all that's associated with George Floyd's death. You know, it's all come from that. This is a thing which we talked about actually reforming criminal justice and policing in Australia to make it better and work better for all people, but including Indigenous Australians. This is one of those discrete things which will actually make a difference. The Fines, Penalties and Infringement Notices Enforcement Amendment Bill passed both houses of the WA Parliament on Tuesday night. Uh, Western Australia was the only jurisdiction that permitted fine defaulters, so someone who doesn't pay their fines, uh, to spend time in prison uh, at a rate of 250 bucks a day. So if you had to owe the government 250 bucks, you had to spend a day in prison. Now, to put someone in jail... Uh, for, for example, a $2,500 fine cost the government six grand. So economically, it didn't work out. But also, it just punishes poor people. Like if you're rich and you get have to pay a fine, uh, you know, if you're poor and you can't pay it, then you're in jail. And that is unfair to poor people. You shouldn't go to jail for being poor. And obviously, it um, disproportionately impacted Indigenous Australians. 
Uh, and there's other ways you can deal with it. You can take it out of people's wages. You can make them do community service. I thought the service. community service one, that was one I was like, yeah, that's obvious. Community service one is a good one. It's one of these things. Uh, so this will contribute to less people being in prison because we know being in prison completely derails people's lives. Being in prison is really expensive for the taxpayer. Uh, and we know that one of the problems with Indigenous incarceration is that Indigenous people are in prison far more than other groups in society. And this is a way of reducing that. We did see a death in custody in 2014 from a woman who had been in police custody as a result of not paying her fines. Which is so bad. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like literally died because she couldn't pay a fine. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, the And the IPA... Final point, has long advocated for the removal of this law. Bushnell, Andrew Bushnell, we shouldn't just say Bushnell, wrote uh, why Western Australia needs criminal justice reform. It was a, uh, a brief about criminal justice in Western Australia, which included this, and a piece called Let's Get Fine Defaulters Out of Our Jails. So good to see it come to fruition. Yeah, like you said, uh, any and all silver linings from the last couple of weeks of just chaos is just mm. sensible law reforms like this, which yep. are actually going to improve people's lives. All mm. right. Uh, very good selection, Pete. My like this week, Bob Catter is a national treasure. Oh, Bob Catter is so good. All right, so people have seen this one, I reckon, so I'm just going to fly through it. But Bob Catter, dressed up as a grim reaper outside Parliament House in Canberra to protest against the demise of Australia's car industry. Just a, a sensification, props, uh, costume change as well. The man knows it. Here's a tweet from Phil Curry, who is the uh, at the AFR, was just buying a pie when Bob Catter walked past dressed as a Grim Reaper, followed by a staffer saying, Bob, you can't go into the chamber like that, Bob. All right, first up, that staffer, you're gone. Yeah. You are gone. You have no sense of occasion. You have no... Uh, like, why would you align yourself to Bob Catter if you're... First instinct is Bob should not go into the chamber dressed as the Grim Reaper. Don't rain him You do in. not put Catter in a corner. No, don't rein him in. No. And Pauline Hanson went in with a burka, didn't she? That, you know, it's sensitive occasion, all right? So Grim Reaper, you know, it's slightly less bit problematic, but the Grim Reaper is just pure yeah. fun for everyone. Uh, and look, I've said this before on the show, but there should be a suspension of democracy if Catter ever loses an election. We cannot lose this man. <laughs> That's a big call. Actually, actually- Alternatively- we change it so when bills pass the Senate and on the way to the Royal Assent, they also need the Catter Assent. He can't do anything, but we just get a Simple. bit of a photo op. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. And the other thing about this is Phil Corey, this is in the morning, wasn't it? Mm. A bit early for a pie, mate. <laughs> no. Get it. it was lamb and mushrooms. You don't, you don't put a time capsule on when a man eats lamb and mushroom pie. I don't know. I think you but need I tell you what, better. you wouldn't need a coffee. If it's early in the morning and you see Bob Catter dressed up as a Grim Reaper, yeah. that is a caffeine hit you need to get you through the rest I know of your working day. 2020 has been a bad year. Yeah. You think, well, actually, the time has finally come. <laughs> we're all, we're, we're all gone. The de- what is it? Like the devil that takes on the form of someone you least expect? <laughs> so I'd, death just comes to you looking like Bob Catter? I could see... Bob Ketter being Satan easily. Don't, <laughs> yeah. That's a joke, Bob. Don't sue me. <laughs> All right, sweet. Dislikes, Pete. Okay, dislikes Teen Vogue. Mm. All right, Teen Vogue, okay, you've made... They're like, Vogue is like 120, 130 years old. Yeah. That has made millions of dollars, probably more. Uh, actually, I don't know. I have no idea how much they would have made. Based on American consumerism, right? Like selling people stuff they don't need. You know, if you... You like short hair now. Like, that's been their business model forever. Yeah, but like, I mean... You now like long hair. Adjust your standards accordingly. Yeah, buy this $400 scarf and Mm. you'll finally be a real woman, right? Like so, you'll then be happy. Don't come to me with stuff like this after your history. They have wrote in 2018 this piece called Who is Karl Marx? Meet the Anti-Capitalist Scholar, which is, you know, fair enough, but the article is not what it should be. And they retweeted it this week, you know... Presumably because communism is going to solve Yeah, if I wanted to learn about Karl Marx, I'm not exactly consulting the fine pages of Teen Vogue. Well, 
my thought. It's more, I wish it was crap. Like it's sort of, it's just absolute well-written communist propaganda. Doesn't like, you know, the guide to the perfect makeover is socialism. No, it's not. And I want to read a couple of things. You may have come across communist memes on social media. The man, the meme, the legend behind this trend is Karl Marx, who developed the theory of communism, which advocates for workers' control over their labour instead of their bosses. That's all communism was, James. Mm. Just workers' control over just their labour. Just workers' labor. control. Uh, his writings have inspired social movements, social movements in Soviet Russia, China, Cuba, Argentina, Ghana, Burkina Faso, and more. Just an innocent social movement. Yeah. Uh, recycling, Movember, something like that. That's that's all you know. The Red Terror was. Uh, former Drexel University professor George Chicarello Ma uses Marx to teach history through an emotional, fluid, and ever-changing lens. Gee, I'm I'm flat. I miss those classes. Uh, now I read the whole thing. Nowhere did it say communism killed 100 million people. Nowhere did it say what life was like in North Korea and Venezuela. And nowhere did it say people escaped to countries like America or Australia to escape communism every year. Uh, and then down the bottom was links to more articles, which was class solidarity is our only hope for survival and everything you should know about anarchism. Yeah, seriously, go through Teen Vogue because it is hilarious. Like I've been mm. seeing this for a while, but you want to talk about the Marxists running through our institutions. They have literally taken over Teen Vogue. Why? It's just, well, they got there. Do they? I don't know. Maybe just one editor went uh, awry. Now, my dislike this week, yeah. it's my dislike every week, but Rick Wilson is a ninny. Like, this guy just sucks. And he is a journalist over in the US. You might remember he was the one that did that really offensive impression of a Trump voter. Yeah, and it was just yeah. the most inside uh, Washington, D.C. bubble clip I think we've ever put on a- this show. Absolute flog. Now, this week, Domino's Pizza, right, so, all right, so I, let me figure out how to share this. So Rick Wilson, right, retweets a Domino's Pizza tweet from November 9, 2012. Now, the tweet was in, the 2012 tweet was in reply to Kaylee McEnany, who is now Trump's press secretary. She back then tweeted how much she was loving Domino's Pizza. Domino's in 2012, November 9, 2012, responded, that's one heck of a compliment. Thanks for the love. We appreciate it. Now, Rick Wilson has retweeted that on June 16 this year going, you just killed your brand. And then, which is so bad, as if Domino's replying to a compliment. Well, why don't I let Domino's tell us what's happened here? Because they replied to Rick Wilson saying, Welp, it's unfortunate that thanking a customer for a compliment back in 2012 would be viewed as political. Yes, that's 2020 for you. Talking about that's earlier how it's what cancel culture just needs some people to stand up and yeah. fight back. That is how you do it, Domino's. And when I talk about how mud wrestling and getting into cancel culture just leaves you wide open... Hmm. Someone did a quick scroll through Rick Wilson's Instagram oh, feed I know this. This is and good. his wife's Instagram feed and found they were partying on their boat, which had a esky with a Confederate flag on it. Now, bum, I thought bum, that got cancer. Racist. Yes. So <laughs> don't get into the mud ever. So you're saying the esky had a Confederate the flag? Esky, oh, I'll show you it. So the Ooh. esky has a Confederate flag on it. You can just see in that top right corner yeah, there. It's a, it's a racist esky. That is a racist esky on his boat, but apparently Domino's can't reply to a tweet from 2012. These, it's a incredible how much of the left are... Oh, he's not left, is he? Rick Wilson? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought he was just one of the anti-Trump Republican. Well, certainly he would look down on people that support Trump. Okay. So, right. so anyway, it's incredible how many of those, you know, the Democrats, the Guardian, the ABC, you know, anyway. Yeah. Well, just don't get into the mud. Like, this is why you shouldn't do cancel culture. All right. Let us now talk to Richard Reardon and then the quiz. Okay, we now welcome on to the show Richard Reardon, Shadow Assistant Minister for Regional Victoria and Agriculture. Richard, how are you going? 
Very well, thanks, boys. Uh, so, Richard, you are supporting the Botanical and other bars around Victoria who have started the Save Our Pubs campaign and are basically rebelling against Daniel Andrews' uh, economic lockdown measures. Now, what is it about their cause that speaks to you? Well, um, I, I'm uh, my electorate, for those your listeners won't know, but is the, basically has the whole Great Ocean Road. So a big whack of the people that I represent really rely on being able to go to pubs um, go to restaurants, go to cafes. You know, when you come to my part of the, of Victoria, you're there for a good time. You want to hang around with your mates, have a good time. And, you know, every one of those guys, operators, you know, some there's some great spots for a drink and a catch-up along the Great Ocean Road, and none of them can open up properly. And it's the same here in Melbourne. The Botanical and other, you know, really popular spots uh, in and around Melbourne are all suffering the same thing. The four, uh, one person per four square metres is just a killer. Uh, most other jurisdictions in the world have woken up that, you know, you can't put that measure on people. It just doesn't make the pubs and clubs industry and hotel industry viable. And let's face it, we've got to start getting these things back to normal. And that's where it speaks to me. Richard, uh, we've got listeners all over this great land and in fact, Australia. So I'm sure we've got some listeners in your electorate. But I also wanted to ask now, some of the Save Our Pubs, some of the points from the Save Our Pub campaign was that the, are they actually going to engage in civil disobedience if this isn't changed quickly? Because that to me is amazing that, that a number of pubs would just actually just say, stuff it, we're just going to do it. Yeah, well, this is the interesting thing. What, so what do we know about the civil disobedience? We know, for example, of the six odd thousand fines that the Victorian government has dished out over the coronavirus thing, 2% of them have been paid. And we, we haven't yet got the numbers, but massive amount of them uh, have been dropped. So I know, for example, the 25 young people that got booked at the 12 Apostles, which is in my patch, uh, all, all had their fines dropped. So the government's got a really poor track record in terms of actually enforcing this stuff, uh, which is a bit of a problem. I mean, I, I don't agree in having a law and not enforcing it. You either have a law or you don't. We've then seen in the week when we had a big Black Lives Matter protest, which was a really important issue for lots of people, but the government was all week not threatening anybody, not warning people not to go. I mean, they did eventually warn people not to go, but there were no repercussions. So um, we're now at the point for a lot of these businesses, most of them, the overwhelming majority of these types of businesses are, are smaller operations. They're often mum and dad businesses. They're often young entrepreneurs. They're people that have got their heart and soul in it. And at the moment, a lot of these people are looking down the barrel of never being able to open up again because they're just going to be broke. So it's desperate times. Um, you know, there's not just a union of pub owners. There's not a, a union of cafes and restaurants. You know, they're all busy, hardworking people. And I guess it's up to the government to tell them why they can't open. Bunnings is allowed to open. You can queue up in aisles there. You can... Uh, um, you know, go to all the supermarkets, all the big guys get to open. So why not these smaller businesses? Mm. The other part for me is, and you referenced it before, how in Victoria it's the four square metres and other parts of the country it's two square metres and then you look overseas and Britain's gone down to one per square metre. And when coronavirus started to come as a major issue, the message from every single government was listen to the experts, listen to the experts. But in the repealing of these restrictions, it doesn't seem the government are listening to the experts anymore. Like, I don't know why one thing's safe in Britain, which have a more serious issue with coronavirus, but it's not safe here. Yeah, look, that, that's a really good point. And, and the other part is, um, you know, it's such a, a, a strict rule that doesn't make sense. You know, lots of people's favourite pubs and clubs and things, they've got little rooms, little nooks, little crannies. There's all sorts of ways that 
uh, a publican or a you know a cafe restaurant owner can sort of redevise things. Everyone's quite happy to thin out their crowd a little bit. You know, you can manage it. You can do both things. And the other thing that I think we have to move to is that if you've got grave concerns about coronavirus and catching it, well, then it's sort of, um, you know, you can take your own steps and measures. No one's making you go to a pub. No one's making you go out to a restaurant. So you, you have the choice of staying home. And I think this sort of view that we've got to keep blanket banning everybody there isn't a vaccine. We have to learn to live with this, just like we learn to live with other other conditions. And and the facts are telling us 97% of people have little or no um, complications with this. I mean, half these people that are being diagnosed didn't even know they had it. So we know that it's it's not. You know, I am actually moving to the view it's not quite the boogeyman everyone makes it out to be. If you take sensible and um, logical steps to look after yourself and take a bit more personal hygiene to account and, and I think we can live with it and manage it and get on with life. That's right. We spoke earlier on the show about how uh, the the evidence is not uh, mounting up to support the lockdowns. Now, what is driving this uh, delay in reducing restrictions in Victoria? We know that they're reducing restrictions quickly in New South Wales or more quickly, uh, more quickly in the UK, as James just mentioned. Is this Daniel Andrews? Is it is it good for his polling? Is it uh, Does he just enjoy the power? Does he genuinely think he's doing the right thing? What do you think he's driving that? Well, I Googled a word the other day, other day nosophobia. <laughs> and it's, um, it's people that have uh, unjustifiable and excessive concerns about viruses. I think that's what it was, or disease. Hey, viruses I'm Googling it too because I have no idea and what that it's word worth, is. It's, sorry? Uh, I'm Googling it too, but I... I have no idea what that word is. I can't find yeah, it. Not oh, so extreme yet. irrational. No, no, that's just phobias. An irrational. It's an irrational fear of disease, I think, or viruses. And it's worth noting that our premier was a former health minister. And uh, I don't know about you blokes, but, you know, I'm an old and middle-aged guy. I've got a few friends that are doctors. And doctors are really great people when you're sick. Um, but I tell you what, there's none of my doctor friends I'd ever go to for business advice or... Uh, uh, or some other sort of practical. They tend to be very academic, very logical. Um, you know, they're very smart people, but they're sometimes a bit impractical and don't quite understand other things. And so I think Daniel Andrews has been snowballed by um, excessive um, aversion to risk. And, you know, most of us, particularly though, I mean, I was in the business world for 25 years, you learn to live with risk and you learn to manage risk and you learn to look after yourself. And I think that's an important quality that's been just completely forgotten about in this whole debate. And so Daniel Andrews, the other great trait he has, uh, great trait or um, disturbing trait really, is that he hates listening to anybody. And you see it all the time. And um, the, the analogy I use, if there were six people standing in front of him in white gowns and you said, Premier, are those six people standing in white gowns? You go, no, they're not. They're standing in black gowns. And he'll argue black and blue that they're standing in black gowns. And this is a bit like, the situation we've got at the moment, there are people knocking his door down saying, please, Premier, we need to loosen up on this. We need to get back to business. We can manage the risk in our businesses. And he's just not listening. So uh, I was going to say, so uh, with easing restrictions, I mean, you talked to all, earlier before about it should be more on the individual themselves to decide whether or not uh, what risks they want to take. But what specific measures would you want to see repealed or maybe like which ones would you want to keep? Like, are you comfortable with people going to the footy on mass as has been floated in some other States? Uh, would you have the one square meter rule? 
Well, I just think we've got to get back to consistency in the rules. There's no limits on how many people can cram into a shopping centre, go to Bunnings, go to a supermarket, right? So why are those big players getting a big free kick on, on the discretionary spend while all the small, like all the little cafe owners, restaurant owners, bar owners, they're really important to our um, society and our fabric. Uh, they're a big employer. They're a big employer of young people. They're a big employer of students. They're a big employer to casual uh, mums and dads who perhaps have other careers that aren't yet uh, making them enough dollars to uh, keep you know, food on the table, whether they're artists or musicians or whatever. So there's a whole range of uh, other people in society that are being left behind with this. And certainly as a, you know, a, a well-paid public servant that I am now, I'm down here in the bubble of Spring Street and you know, everyone down here making decisions, job is safe, they're getting paid to work at home. They're getting all the internet and computer access. They're even getting bonuses to, to help pay for their power bills and electricity bills at home. And yet the average person's being forgotten about. And it's, to me, it's, it's a terrible uh, and unjustifiable difference. So we're expecting, uh, you know, in my electorate, I've got a couple of big factories making ice cream and, and lamb chops and uh, timber. Uh, now, there's many hundreds of people work in those factories at quite close quarters. No one's sort of putting up the flag going, oh, oh they can't go to work because everyone still wants to eat their ice cream and have their lamb chops. So they're happy for them to work. But for some reason, people in pubs and restaurants can't. It doesn't make sense. Now, Richard, you mentioned uh, when I spoke to you yesterday on the phone that the Andrews government has announced a couple of pieces of infrastructure that was already announced and claimed that it's COVID stimulus, even though it was already in the works. I want to ask uh, a, a bit about why infrastructure in Victoria costs so much because there was a recent piece in the IPA review by Daniel Wild and Scott Hargraves that found that five years ago, a level crossing removal cost $80 million a pop and it now costs 250 to $300 million ago so that's a big increase in five years and the metro tunnel will cost 1.2 billion dollars per kilometer of track compared to a similar railway in the uk which is going to be built which is expected to cost 0.33 billion dollars per kilometer of track so why is everything so expensive to build in victoria because uh, daniel andrews does his deals and does the deals with the unions you know where do you want to start and finish with the deals that get done i mean silence and industrial harmony is bought here with deals. We have a situation where um, the basic cost for the taxpayer of recurrent wage costs here in Victoria increasing 8% per annum. Now the government loves to tell everybody, oh, we've only we've got 2% caps on, on wage increases. You know, we're being responsible. But what's the reality is? The reality is everyone just keeps moving up into new pay descriptions, new new categories, categorized, recategorized people. The, the, the actual cost of the budget is 8%. So we're seeing that in the public sector and we're seeing the same out with um, uh, uh, these big projects. So between the two big tunnel projects at the moment, we haven't even started Northeast Link yet, it's estimated we're close to $10 billion over budget and they're only halfway built. We know that the Westgate Tunnel now, it's not going to finish in 2022 like all the big signs down the Westgate Freeway told everybody for ages. That's now, you know, that's now adding one or two years. There's a huge contaminated soil issue, which I understand. Here's a scoop for you guys. Here's a scoop. I understand that the government is offering to pay back the Murrable um, Shire, who's where they're trying to dump this soil, to make them shut up and go away, pay them $150 million to the Shire to make sure they give planning approval so they can dump the soil there to try and get that project back on track. 
Now, everybody said there was going to be a contaminated soil problem. It's the government's own EPA that changed the rules about dumping this soil. And yet, you know, they just write out checks using taxpayers' money as if it's willy-nilly. Keep in mind, just because of coronavirus, I mean, this has worked out very well for Daniel Andrews. He's just gone and written out, you know, asked for permission from the parliament, which we gave him because he's got complete majority and he, you know, basically has the animal justice people and... Uh, the, uh, the, the the other lot uh, in his back pocket, so they'll do whatever he says. Um, $24.5 billion extra. So, you know, Daniel Andrews came to power six years ago. His debt was around $14 billion. And guess what, folks? By the end of this next election, it's going to be $70 billion. Now, on a good year, we get a surplus somewhere between $500 million and a billion. 70 years minimum, 70 to 150 years to pay back for two tunnels some level crossing removals and uh, a whole bunch of wire rope barriers that are a noose around country drivers' necks. So um, we're not getting much value for money and, uh, you know, fewer people are getting an education, um, fewer people are attending school. Where do you want to finish with the, the lack of accountability of this guy? Yeah, you just think, like, uh, how much we're going to need that money in uh, the coming years. Now, Look, Richard, a lot of my friends, uh, they're very left-wing and they work in hospitality. And if I can talk to them enough, they'll start to admit, okay, these lockdown measures are starting to really hurt. And I yep. just feel like uh, we saw the numbers come out yesterday that uh, nearly half a million Australians between 15 and 25 are out of work or not studying full-time. The longer these lockdown restrictions go, uh, the, the more suffering there's going to be. And I think people are going to be very disillusioned with Labor here in Victoria or maybe other state governments. But for the people in Victoria, what would you say to young people that might not think about voting Liberal, but certainly would feel the, the brunt of Labor's policies on the lockdown? You know, it's a really good question because I've got um, a couple of kids, 19 and 20, 22, 23. So in that age, right? So I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of those young people. Um, and um, the issue that complicates this is we've had 30 years of economic growth. So no one under the age of 50 who's in the workplace or about to go into the workplace has ever experienced economy going backwards. Now, the data coming out of what we're looking down the barrel of, if you think it's been bad now, you ain't seen nothing. At the moment, everyone, most people put out of a job have had a pretty generous a job keeper or job seeker allowance. It's certainly buffeted. There are many people actually getting a bit more money than what they had before. Um, of course, there are many who have fallen through the crack. But, you know, the statistics that came out in the, in the coronavirus hearings that we had a couple of weeks ago here in Parliament, the building and construction industry are looking at somewhere between 50 and 70% decline. Now, you know, construction has been a major force in Victoria for employment and growth and development and, and stimulating the economy. Imagine that. I mean, in the Great Depression in 1933, if you've done your history, you know, people know how bad that was supposed to be. There was only a 33% reduction in that, in that, in that sector. Uh, our third biggest export, which is university foreign students, our universities get 40% of their income from the 25% of foreign students. That's, that money is used for research, development, providing services at universities. So, you know, people are looking down the barrel of um, very limited job opportunities going forward and real cuts to the things that they've taken very much for granted, you know, access to university, pubs and clubs and jobs, you know, things are looking pretty tough down the track for a lot of young people particularly. And that's one of the reasons we've got to get back to work and got to get back to supporting people because it's young people that are going to suffer more than anyone. 
Righto, Richard, we've got one more before we have to let you go for your next engagement. We've discussed on this podcast a lot of the crazy inconsistencies in social distancing measures, and I reckon one in your electorate is right up there with the best of them. In a recent sitting of the Victorian Legislative Assembly, you pointed out the inconsistency in regards to the 12 apostles. What was that? The, the 12 apostles, um, in terms of uh, them not being open, so the, um, uh, the government started telling people they're opening up country Victoria and you could go back out and I think the government even spent some money saying the 12 apostles has opened but guess what they haven't opened the car park they haven't opened no sorry they opened the car park but kept the toilets the kiosk and the access ramp uh, to the 12 apostles closed so um, ironically uh, the mem the Labor member for Nepean bailed me up in the corridors here in Parliament this week and said oh I was very disappointed I drove never been down to the 12 apostles and I went on the long weekend and it was all closed up I just looked at him and said, seriously, mate, it's your government that's locked it up. I said, don't go complaining to me as the local member. I said, go and talk to your boss. He's the one that kept it locked up. And this is the sort of crazy stuff. I mean, it's six million people a year get drawn down there. That's a lot of cafes and restaurants and businesses that rely on those people to come there. Well, we're not even telling people that they still haven't taken the red tape off the doors yet. I mean... Um, this government has got a, has been very slow to get a plan back in place. Most other jurisdictions are giving businesses and industries really clear timelines on what they can expect and how they can get back to work. And Daniel Andrews just doesn't have that. I got contacted by one of Lawn's best restaurants last night after I raised this in Parliament yesterday. And he said, we've got people wanting to book holidays along the Great Ocean Road and they want to book in the restaurants. That's what people go down there for. And I, I can't tell them whether I'm going to have seats or not have seats because I don't know how many spots I can have. So it's all things like that that add cost and, and are denying young people getting their jobs back, I reckon. Yeah, and especially when Daniel Andrews goes, uh, we need to have everyone holidaying here in Victoria, don't go to South Australia. Well, I'd probably open up the holiday <laughs> spots. Now, Richard, you do have to go, but just before we were talking, you were talking about this Auditor General report that showed $1.2 billion of misuse spending. If you wanted to talk to us about that just before you left... Yeah, look, I, I will because it's it's a little bit of a hobby horse I've had. So for those that don't know, um, country Victorian roads have had $1.48 billion in the last six years thrown at them, and I say thrown at them in wire rope barriers. Now, if you're in a city and you don't get out in the country driving, you won't have noticed them. But the big issue is, is that uh, the overwhelming majority of people that die on country roads die on low volume, uh, rural roads, so basically smaller shire and um, sm lesser state government roads are where the most facilities happen. This has spent $1.48 billion on putting fences down every main highway. As you may be aware, the road toll actually increased last year, so there's no evidence at all that there's a reduction in deaths after spending that amount of money. And the big issue out in, in the regional areas is that roads are, you know, really, really essential because, you know, big distances, got to move a lot of freight, a lot of people get to work. And um, uh, there's a million things you could spend $1.48 on and it wouldn't be putting wire fences up everywhere. I mean, it prevents fire trucks from getting to fires. It stops. You can't pull over to change a tyre. If your kids are vomiting in the car, you can't rescue them. There's a whole bunch of stupid things that are a consequence and the government's just ignored it. But anyway, the Auditor General has finally seen reason and he has given the biggest boot in the back pants to uh, the government on this. It's deemed one of the worst mismanagements of money ever. 
Uh, brilliant. Richard Reardon, uh, love any guest that brings their own props to an interview, which uh, is always great. So Richard Reardon, the uh, campaign is Save Our Pubs. So, you know, get out there, help your local uh, restaurants and cafes and pubs and clubs and stuff because they need it now more than ever. Richard, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, boys. Have a great day. Thanks, mate. Okay, thank you too, Richard Reardon. And, and now we have the quiz. So quiz is, uh, well, no, we had one last week, Peter Gregory, reigning champion. I think well so. done. I can't quite remember. No, it. you wonder who am I. I remember it so clearly because I was so proud of you. Jordan anyway, uh, we have the slicks back. Always good to have the slicks on the quiz. We have Adam. G'day. Thanks for having Adam me. Adam and Mia, of course. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Now, uh, we were discussing earlier this morning, so... Australia may or may not be under some sort of cybersecurity threat, uh, is the breaking news. And Adam, here at the IPA, you help us out with a fair bit of emails. And I floated that uh, maybe Australia needs to use Adam just as like its yeah. cybersecurity guy. Apparently, you know, we need a bit more boosting up on that side of things. And you referenced that you would be a very good spy. I think I would be a good spy. Now, what do you bring to the spy table? Well, other than the fact that I am now announcing it on a podcast. Yeah, this is a bad start. If I'm ever being employed as a spy, I hope they don't see this podcast. Yeah. Um, But I don't know. I think I'd find it really fun. Like I'd really enjoy the code names and I'd stick and use all the code names all the time. Yeah. Actually, what was the code name? Because I typed your name into an anagram creator and I came up with Chaz Dow Mitch, which I think would be a good code name. Yeah. I think I might change my Facebook name to that. To Chaz? Which kind of ruins... Yeah, reclaim Chaz because uh, it's Seattle has d- desecrated the good name of mm. Chaz with the uh, automated uh, autonomous, autonomous zone. zone, automated zone. Uh, <laughs> but yes, Chaz um, needs to come back. Chaz yeah. is everywhere unhappy about that. Right. I uh, just wanted to quickly throw to Mayor. Go. Mayor had some strong comments about Adam's suitability as a spy. In- interesting. Yeah, I think it would last maybe the first day. Was it? And then he'd come home and be- he wouldn't say I'm a spy. I don't know if he's coming home if he's yeah, one day to be a spy. Point. No, but he'd come, he'd like come to something and he'd be like, Guys, I can't tell you what my job is, but just know it's important. And then someone yeah. go, and then they guess something. Like, with pie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it that's starts fine. With that's it. Like it's it's not that, but it's something super secret, and I can't tell you. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. You're allowed to say that. You're just not allowed to say who's behind. <laughs> yeah, you've also got this like big winning smile, like <laughs> as well. You'd be like, guys, I can't tell you what it is. People can't see it at home, but I am smiling really broadly. I just don't believe that there are that many spies that really don't tell all their friends. You tell a, you tell a few. Mates. I just don't reckon you could. I mean, I've seen The Departed. I know what it's like to be a spy. <laughs> I th- that's all you need to say. It depends what you're know. doing, though. Like, if you're James Bond, mm. like if you're the guy that goes and shoots people, yeah, you probably don't tell people. No, but if, if you're just in the office, with that. yeah, if you're just in the office, like, it'd be fine. Yeah, my problem is I'm way too honest. Someone just mm. be like, "You're a spy," and be like, "You, lo- you, you got me." He's <laughs> an open. Well, that's fair, cop, because they've guessed it. Yeah, no, you guys are spoils. All right, uh, all right. Are we ready for a quiz? I'm ready for a quiz. I'm absolutely ready. Okay, cool. Uh, so, if it is your first quiz, one point on for correct answers, one point off for incorrect answers. Buzzes are your first names, and we've got a who am I at the end. Now, this week, Victoria v South Australia. It's been a war. Ah, oh, yeah. Uh, Daniel Andrews floated why would you go to South Australia so that is my first question name three reasons to go to South Australia oh roof roof Roof, roof. (laughs) you guys really don't think of anything okay Uh, (laughs) to go to the footy Uh, yeah Adelaide Oval beautiful ground Uh, the pie floater in Glenelg 
wouldn't be one of my leanings, but I'll, I'll, I'll it's still take a your word for it. And obviously the Barossa Valleys. Barossa Valley. Great. All right, I'll take that. Peter Gregory, right. to, uh, the Minister for Tourism in South Australia. South Australia is not as bad as people say. Uh, yeah, good churches, you know, <laughs> that's a thing. I don't know. Right. <laughs> I not, don't know anything I got family. <laughs> I got family in South Australia. Whenever we go, Dad's like, let's go to a church. Really? Yeah, not oh, even okay. religious, just let's go to a church. I thought you were just hitting on the, the emptiest of empty talking points. Yeah, it is an empty <laughs> talking point. I'm not going to say it's a full talking point, but... Got to give a shout out. Okay. Call the state of churches for a reason. Yeah, great cricket as well at Adelaide Oval. All right. Uh, fortunately, the energy, these are one of the ones where it's not the most fun questions, but these are extremely important stats and everyone mm-hmm. should know them. So, yeah. look. Uh, I know what this is going to be. Unemployment rate came out yesterday. It's now 7.1%. Now, accounting for people that have left the labor force and have been reduced to zero hours of work, which doesn't show up in the unemployment rate mm. stats. Now, what is the real unemployment rate? As calculated by the IPA. As, well, calculated, you know, like, yeah, estimated, is all this, those words. Is this Are we doing calculated is closest estimated? to the... Yeah, closest to the That's pen. right. Well, mate, uh, one of these goes first. <laughs> ideally, uh, we'd all know it by know. heart. But uh, let's I, go closest to the pen. I know it pretty close, but I don't know the exact... Talking a big game. Like, I reckon it should be two points off if Peter doesn't get this. I, I from how big the game has been talked. I mentioned it earlier in the show. Oh, interesting. Oh. Okay. I'll guess, Mia. Mia. 51%. 51? Yeah. That's, that's, is that too high? That's, that's extraordinary. That's like oh. half, of the, half of everyone. Oh. <laughs> More she than half. This is why I should have waited for everyone else to go. <laughs> 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 you need Austin. a good grounding stat. I, I'll tell you what, it's wide open for like, uh, you know, when it's closest to the pin, but yeah, two people be. are very Someone could go too apart. low. So, All right, well, I'm going to go... So seven is the... 7.1% is the yeah, official yeah. unemployment rate. Uh, I'm going to say 13 13, interesting. Peter. I think it's 13.2. It's 13.6. So p- points <laughs> on for Peter Gregory. I wasn't snaking you. Talked a huge game. I was going to say 14. And I would have. Uh, it would have been equal. No. Would have been equal. Yeah. Would have been a uh, wrestling match just in front of the. I'd be happy with that. <laughs> or, or, or just a tie point. Okay. Not wrestling. No. I said wrestling. Now. <laughs> I'd, I'd take Adam down, by the way. <laughs> if he thinks that he would win a wrestling match. Now, if the two fighters want to take place. Been thinking about that, have you, Pete? Well, I just didn't like the confidence with which he went, yep, I'll do it. I'm like, okay, okay, big boy, let's go. No, just kidding. No fighting on the podcast. Come on, no fighting on the podcast. <laughs> this is a pro fighting podcast. We could do an arm wrestle. Oh, already table. copping out. All right. Uh, question three. How many people are either directly employed by Commonwealth and state governments or local councils or in receipt of job seeker unemployment payment or in the job keeper wage subsidy? So basically, how many people are relying on the state for their income right now? Is that a percentage? Or it a is a percentage. Yes, yeah, so I think I got my other stat confused. I think it might be. Yeah, so I'm going to guess with this one, Mayor. 51%. Yep, 51%. Yep. <laughs> Closest to the pin? It's, um, I'll go second this time. It's mm-hmm. 54 point. Two percent, mm-hmm. and Adam. He's gonna snake me. He's gonna get it. Fifty-three point eight percent. Oh, you went the wrong way. Yeah. It was fifty-four point three. <laughs> it could have been the greatest snake in the history of the planet. It was fifty-four point two or fifty-four point three. Uh, all right. So today we had a uh, hex fee shake-up. So oh, yeah. a lot of prices being changed on hex fees. And no, that's probably impacting a lot of people out there now. How much more will humanities, society, and culture, and comms degrees cost from what they are now? Percentage might go closest to the pin again. Percentage increase. I'll go first this time because I've talked to these guys. Um, I think, Sitting back there in your ivory tower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it... Now, I did read this this morning and it should be noted that it's actually only for people that are going to enter university next year. It's not now. Mm. It's not for people already there. Oh, um, so we're safe. You guys are safe. Oh, it's good. like oh, 67% for humanities. Okay, 67. It's big. That's a lot. I shouldn't say that. It's my, it might be big. Ooh. I'm going to say... Good, good save. I'm going to go more conservative and Ooh. go... 45. 45. So 45, 67. Yeah. 68. 
Mia gets it. Uh, the old snake has worked. It's a hundred and thirteen percent fee rise compared oh, with current costs. Uh, uh, yeah, so unfolding story, in the sense that I don't know why they're doing that. Like they've said, so it's to encourage people to go to jobs that are going to be employ, like uh, the skills that are going to be employable in the coming yeah, years, yeah. Uh, which That's... apparently humanities, society, culture, and comms degrees are not. I reckon. Uh, you know, your strong humanities, liberal arts has been an absolute boon for being employed in the tertiary education industry. So, mm. like, there's always a job waiting for you to, like, you know, lecture future generations of people that write thousand-word essays that two people read. So, mm. you know, I don't know. you got to get good marks for that, though. Uh, all right. So, name one MP who has left Labor over the branch stacking scandal developing. Adam. Adam. Boom. Um, his name is also Adam. His name is also Adam. With an E. Yeah, Adam with an E. Like yes. Adam Uze. Adam. Maybe it's Adam. It I is Adam. I can't say his name properly. It's like Soriak. Or... Uh, yeah, Ooh. I'll give it to you. Adam Sor- uh, Somurek, Robin Scott, oh, and Marlene Kairos. Now, I got to I got to say, Australia's bar for what like abusive text messages are is a bit yeah. lower than what I would hoping. Like some of the ones that are getting out today, which is just like she's no good for labour. <laughs> Don't know if that's like abusive. Like I've, I've certainly said to their face worse things to my friends. So like, <laughs> wow, you know. Yeah, well, it's coming oh. from a place of love. We all might unfriend you on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Yeah. yeah, that's just the tool of their opponents trying to say, "Oh, they're sending abusive texts." Yeah, exactly. And they're not that bad. All right. So, quick score check, Peter Gregory. Not that on... I've seen them all, and if there are really bad ones, <laughs> yeah, if, 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 if by the time you hear this, they are really bad, then I we disavow what we just said. It could be exactly. terrible, and you've just like credited. Yeah. Them. Yeah. So it's not that bad. Suck it up. Surely they yeah. would have led with the worst ones. Yeah, but maybe yeah. they haven't emerged yet. So yeah, anyway, true. that's my disclaimer. Yeah, it's sort of like uh, when, uh, was it Lee Rhiannon got ousted from the Greens and then she was just like, you know what, who's not an Australian citizen? These two. And yeah. then just like that avalanched into like half the Australian parliament. Yeah. Anyway. They're petty politicians. Uh, but it's fantastic rating. All right. Uh, so quick score check, Pete on three, Mia on one, Adam on one. Ooh. Now the subplot in all of the Schlicht's quizzes is who wins the Schlick prize yeah. and who is... Who is or may not be angry at dinner tonight? I will point to out that's always been Adam angry at dinner. <laughs> Oof, this gets brought up every time. <laughs> and I haven't actually won one against Mia. Yeah. So. No, we don't know how Mia responds to the I love this running joke. It's just really a weird fun. factory. Because you're the oldest, aren't you? I am the oldest. So I'm how much? Best. What's your age? I'm 22. <laughs> the best. And what are you, 19? 20. 20, okay. So two years, two years extra. And then there's another three kids. So. Yeah, the Schlick wow. family band. There's a lot of us. What was it? Four saxophones and a singer. We've got four saxophones. Yep. Yeah. I was still, I'm just left out. So. <laughs> all right. Four saxophones. And a singer. Yeah. And a singer. And, uh, uh, all right. And so, rock star. speaking of music, how did Airwaves Music Festival get around COVID restrictions? Oh, who knows? That's uh, one for the musicians. Me up. Me up. Because it's drive-in. It in is July. a drive-in. That sounds like... Death to me. Sounds that, yeah, that's so awkward. So All these bad. people are like, oh, this sounds like a, like, what a good idea. That'll be so fun. It's not fun. Yeah. How do you death circle <laughs> in a car? You can't death circle. You could death <laughs> circle in a car. There you go. Everyone turn your car on and drive around really fast. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> don't do that, people in the music Bring festival. a big car. Don't, don't, no, don't do any of the things that Adam's saying. <laughs> these are jokes. And is the sound coming through your car radio yeah it'd be like oh, going that's, to that, that's awful it's like and uh drive-ins aren't good anyway yeah they tried to do that with stand-up comedy like if it was a good joke you started sounding your horn i was like that that's the worst thing in the world that's, <laughs> that's worse than no stand-up comedy just listen to richard reardon and open up uh yes good point um now which european country has shut down its COVID 19 tracing app over privacy concerns oh that's too actually too easy roof 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 norway it is correct i what i'm loving the last couple of weeks by the way is how 
for years, uh, people on the left are like, I just want to live like Scandinavia. Hmm. And now Sweden doesn't have lockdown restrictions. Norway gets rid of code of the tracing app. And now yeah. it's like, you know, people, libertarians and people on the right are just like, look, can't we just be like Scandinavia? Yeah. Guys? And left <laughs> like, no, you don't want to be like that. You don't want to be like that. Uh, cool. Now, question eight, I want to say, which with, blah, 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 try again, question eight. With what product did Boris Johnson celebrate the beginning oh. of free trade agreement talks with Australia? Ah. Oh. I remember Sorry. reading this. Well, say the answer then. <laughs> roof, roof. Yeah, you wouldn't come across in a reading format. Did you have it? Uh, no, it's right, you go for it. Betty Gregory. Tim Tams. Tim Tams, indeed. Do you know Boris what? Johnson, a man of fine taste. <laughs> Tim Tams are delicious, firstly. Yes. Secondly, he got derided in the British like, Twitter sphere as being like uh, naff and cringy in that promo. Yeah, he is. Yeah. That's he his whole shtick. He's he naff and cringy. He was just like, it was normal. It's like, come on, get him for something It's else. a bit naff and cringy, but like Tim Tams were my number one lockdown snack. Like I went deep into Tim Tams. Yeah. What was the other thing? I was comparing, I think it was the Marmite and the Vegemite as well. Yeah. Like we'll exchange that. Yeah. I don't think we want the Marmite. I, I think do not care for Marmite. <laughs> yeah. But I do love videos of foreign uh, individuals Trying Vegemite for the first time and just going like spreading it like butter and you're just like yeah. that is. That I is still not spread how to it like it. butter. You yeah. are a madman. You are a madman, yeah, and I do really not want you in my car. But I feel like you can build up to that. Like you can't start with that. Maybe I did start like that. Uh, <laughs> when I, the perfect amount of Vegemite is barely visible to the naked eye. Like, and I don't put any butter on. Just amount. Only oh, that's true. only Vegemite. You are a psychopath. That's grim. You know what's the point? You would be a good spy because you have no moral conscience. But that's what would. That nose is a spy when you did something yeah, like that. Yeah, that you're like, there's, there's, there's something wrong with this guy. I don't get the point of the butter. It, oh, taste. Butter's, butter's awesome. It's a, you can't taste anything zone. else when you've got Vegemite on it. No, especially I'm, that again, much. Again, the perfect amount of Vegemite is barely uh, visible to the naked eye. Can I make one more final point about Boris Johnson's video? You may. In that, he said, which is true. Thank you for asking well, permission. I, I assume it's I true. I am podcast captain. <laughs> he said that didgeridoos, Britain imports didgeridoos to, exports didgeridoos to Australia. Did you know that? Yeah, you that's know? a free market power. Right? And then he said, but they don't come back. Because did we do this? Come back. Are you talking about boomerangs? boomerangs. <laughs> oh, I'm talking about boomerangs. Jeez. Oh, Peter. Peter Gregory. The most Australian man in the world? I think not. Uh, all right. Staying in Britain for the last question, which British writer was filmed walking away from a protest against him, hands in pockets and just casually strolling with a backpack? Uh, I don't know, but I can guess. I don't I'm out. Roof, roof. Petty Hitchens is correct. I just knew based on the description. Such a good video. Like, because uh, uh, for people that didn't see the story, Peter Hitchens, which we covered on the show the last week. Yeah, it was something last week. We uh, Peter Hitchens didn't take a knee or take the buttock at a <laughs> Black Lives Matter rally. Uh, people started protesting him, and he just walked away, didn't give a care in the world about it, which is exactly the kind of reaction that was good. Was that at this protest or a different one? Different one. This was like a day or two ago. Specifically for him. Specifically, let's go to Peter Hitchens. Uh, yeah, they're following him down the street. Someone put uh, Staying Alive by the Bee Gees underneath it. It was fantastic video editing. Fantastic. All right, uh, who am I? Quick score check. Peter Gregory, potentially insurmountable lead here of six. Having a good Mears on two, oh, Adams on one. Uh-oh. Now, this is a tough who am I. I'm just... Mentioning that now, that's not like the time you did the Santa Claus one, is it? That was a great one, and <laughs> I will never really hear a bad hard. word against that. Robespierre was the hardest. Uh, no, because you, you guys didn't get um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, which was some like people wrote in going, How did no one get Sir Arthur Conan oh, Doyle? Oh, I knew it was uh, the author of Sherlock Holmes, but I couldn't remember the name. Yeah, well, you know, they don't hand it prizes for Nobel Prizes for attempted chemistry. Um, <laughs> five that points, is the kind of crap I have to put up with on this show. <laughs> five points. I died this Sunday in 1527. Uh, 1527? Calibrate your minds, 1527. Because that 
We've already done. I think we've already done this person. No, we haven't. Roof, 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 roof. Shakespeare, incorrect. Oh, okay. That sound. Yeah, me. I got that one. Yeah, I got that. That sound you hear in the distance is Theodora sighing. (laughs) 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 That you couldn't figure out that Shakespeare (laughs) was not. I don't think he was born at this point. Anyway, yeah, fifteen twenty-seven. He was around then. If he wasn't the fifteen hundreds, he was the sixteen hundreds. Yeah, I like how you're around then. It's like a two hundred and fifty year gap. Same time. Same thing. Old times. It's old. Before two thousand. So is that five points off? Five points. Sorry. uh, One point off. No, one, one, point, one point off, off for Pete. <laughs> one point off for Pete has let people back in. She plays hard, man. One point off for Pete. <laughs> All right, for four points. So anyone can tie. Adam, this is your last call to get in the winner's list. I have, for four points, I'm an Italian diplomat, philosopher, oh, and writer. I know who this is. I'll let you guys have a I don't guess. <laughs> Pete is big on the, well, I got this, but I'll let the people disgrace Just themselves for the, for, the the interest of, for the interest of the quiz, you know, I'll let you guys have a guess. No, <laughs> oh I should look Sorry. these up before the... Before yeah, because both of you know. I know what the website. website. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the on this day thing. Yeah. yeah, and I, I always, as soon as I sit down in here, I always think, ah, oh, bugger, I should have looked it up. Yeah, <laughs> I never do. Because it was slim pickings this week. I really had to search for one. Yeah, uh, Machiavelli. Machiavelli is correct. Peter Gregory. Prop nine, probably the best result we've ever had on the quiz. That's fitting because I am the best. Mm, interesting. Uh, all right, uh, Adam and Mia. Thanks as always. And we got more show for you guys coming up after this. Thanks, guys. All right, we are running super long on this show. Sorry, we've got a few, few stories that mm. have made us laugh this week. We want to fly through. No. And Pete, we had... No, congrats on winning the quiz. Oh, congratulations on winning the quiz. Thanks, well done, mate. Peter. <laughs> Snaps for Pete. Snaps for Peter. I can't believe Mayor tried to claim I'd lose five points for getting the wrong answer. She Jesus. drives a hard ball. But Pete, snake. this week, we had a state off. Yeah, right. Okay. Now, the reason I didn't like this, James, was because it achieved exactly what it was meant to achieve, and that was distract from the fact that I live in house arrest, because I live in Victoria, and because- <laughs> and half a, of the Labor ministry. <laughs> the Labor Party's tearing itself apart. Yeah. And what's the other one? Yeah, you know, with the, the unions run this state, because for a second, I was into this. Now, Daniel Andrews, I'm not going to read to you the opening- sentence in the Adelaide Advertiser for their article about this. The scandal-ridden Premier of the Australian state with the gloomiest weather, bit rough to Tasmania, worst virus outbreaks and most overrated coffee has taken a swipe at SA for its decision to keep tourists from the eastern seaboard. Uh, I object to the coffee one. Yeah, that, I That's, really that's a that. bridge too far. Give me the a... other ones I can cop. Coffee? No, sir. Yeah, go and have a, what's it called? Pie floater. Uh, from the eastern seaboard out of the state until next month. Anyway, of course, we're talking about Daniel Andrews, the Victorian Premier, saying... Uh, with regards to the border closures, I don't want to be offensive to South Australians, but why would you want to go there? Mm. Which got me a chuckle, which is like, damn it, he got me, because I thought that was really funny. Uh, James, thoughts? Oh, yeah. Well, I've got a few South Australian friends, and we were throwing barbs at each other for the rest of the day. I fell hook, line, and sinker, and then uh, you know, a few hours into it, you're like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on, I just got got. This is what he wanted. Yeah. I the, See, I love bagging South Australia as much as any red blood Victorian. I'll hook you up with my friends that are from South Australia and we can get like a third party entry into these. Yeah, I'd love to do that, but... Pat Murrow, we're coming for you. I reckon South Australia is underrated. I reckon there's a few good things. I went on a cricket trip there in 2008. It was great. Glenelg, 2008? Glenelg, mate. <laughs> Throwback. <laughs> Throwback Gl- Thursday for the people. Glenelg pub on a Sunday, went to the races. The races was awesome. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's Memory it. lane. That's all I got. Memory lane. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... We had the we had the pot shots in South Australia, but we are rallying and we're keeping focused on the prize, which is let us out of our homes and yeah. the quote unquote abusive texts. Anyway, we'll move on. 
few weeks ago, people would have seen at the, uh, you know, basically the height of the Black Lives Matter protest, a bunch of Democrats, including Nancy Pelosi, yeah. wearing, uh, wearing kente cloth and kneeling to show respect. It was a bit cringeworthy at the time, Ooh, yeah. especially the cloth. A uh, bit cringeworthy at the time. And now it's sort of the meme about it is going around. The kente cloth is actually historically worn by rich African slave owners and traders. Now... USA Today's fact check on that says it was true. It also says it's got a bunch of other cultural connotations within Africa. So to just say that they just thought of the first African thing they could think of and wore that and didn't do the research mm. might be accurate, might not be, but a cringeworthy thing now has a bit of taint of uh, some real poorly researched cultural appropriation. That's exactly right. We're not saying that like this was the uniform of the slave owner, just that it could be associated with that, isn't it? Bit of a closer Google would have not gone astray. <laughs> yeah, another to change the wording of this. Yeah. I look, mate. These people are in favour of slavery. They are on the wrong side of history with the civil rights movement, as I said like five minutes ago. But you know, how are they not cancelled? Well, we don't canceled, believe in cancel culture. Canceled, canceled. <laughs> I like, don't believe in cancel culture. Mate. Oh yeah, let me say. Are you in the muscle? <laughs> uh, you're in the mud wrestle. You're like, you know what? If they're cancelling, if they're cancelling colonial, yeah. I'm going for the Democrats. This is good because you're kind of um, the moral compass, which is like a Thank bad you. sign. But it's more, a terrible sign. I don't actually want them to be cancelled, but like, by the same token, like if you're cancelling everything else. But mm. um, what was I going to say? That oh yeah, Trump's such a racist buffoon. You know that he's <laughs> terrible. All right, uh, all right. Moving on to yeah. well, <laughs> the Austrian bloke. Yeah. So this was uh, this was. Now I want everyone at home to take uh, this seriously. Yes, right? everyone. Pour yourself a nice glass of scotch. Yeah. Get into your favourite reading chair. Yep. Uh, put on glasses if you wear glasses. Even if you don't wear glasses, I want you to find some distinguished set of glasses and yeah. put them on. Don't, because Pete is about to get some real highbrow stuff happening. Don't think that this is a vulgar story for cheap laughs because this is serious. A man in Vienna has been fined 500 euros for breaking wind loudly in front of police in a move the Austrian capital's police force was at pains to defend. Mm. Now, city police wrote on Twitter in German, of course, no one is reported for accidentally letting one go. <laughs> I'm taking this seriously. Uh, he very seriously. He got up from the... So apparently this bloke got up from a park bench, looked at officers, and, and this is the quote from the police force, let go a massive intestinal wind, apparently with full intent. Now, Unreal I'll, body control. Wow. To have that cooking away and just be like, <laughs> you know what, I'm using this one for when it's needed. Yeah. For and when, now it is needed. When the popo uh, attacked me. What do I want? How do they... How, I don't know how they can uh, define intent. You can't define intent in that. that I reckon this piece. guy made it pretty clear. Well, they've, <laughs> they've noted that the decision can be appealed against, so I can't wait for the court case if that yeah. ever happens. Uh, they also added that the man behaved provocatively and uncooperatively during an encounter with officers that preceded the incident. Those officers have got to be counting their lucky stars. Yeah. They, they just got like they uncooperative. Missed, they, they didn't get this. <laughs> they dodged a massive bullet. Anyway, yes. very serious because you... Oh, well, let's make the serious political point. Yep. You obviously shouldn't be fine for farting. Mm. Talk <laughs> about police brutality. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, that's all I got. For all right, reading glasses <laughs> off, everybody. We're now back to the regular scheduled program. Now, now, now the last the story I want to talk about is a lot of companies are making adjustments as to what all they can do in regards to coronavirus. Some outside the scope of what the governments are saying you sh uh, should and should not do. Mm. Uh, I don't think there's been like you know. I, I guess a real world example is I don't know if there's an actual government edict on whether or not you should hand out menus to your customers. But I'm now getting menus texted to me when I eat out. Um, Ooh, interesting. So here's one I want to focus on. So Virgin Australia, Qantas, EasyJet, KLM, Delta Airlines, and America Airlines are all suspending 
part of their alcoholic drink service in response to COVID-19. All or part of their alcohol service, gone, COVID-19. An epidemic of airlines. This James. is disgusting. Yeah, what's this? This is the only good part about flying and they're taking it away from us. Well, yeah. What? What? Is, why is my question? I don't know. Coronavirus, let's take them at their word. It is coronavirus. But now I, I'm a nervous flyer and I have to sit there in full mm. sobriety going, there is no good reason this plane should be flying right now. Yeah. And I don't get a single bit of edge off. I've got to talk about, we've done this on the show before. And yeah. I'm sure there's a bunch of people smarter than us about pounding their car horns right now, going, yeah. these guys are morons. But you, if <laughs> you're expecting fair. me to believe that air particles are respondent to where a plane wing is, yeah. I need a drink. I don't buy it. Yeah. You know, the, the particles are lighter than the ones above it or something. Absolute garbage Turn like that. that up. Should point out, you still can load up before you get on, so don't forget that's an option. Mm. I would say- but In Australia, you got to go in for the long haul because everything is yeah, so far away. There's nothing, and this is a real rite of passage for young players. You get a few drinks. <laughs> they can have, everyone. have a few drinks on the plane and you actually get hung over by the end of the trip. That mm. is just awful. That's awful. Never done it myself, but yeah, awful. Can I uh, hit you with something, Jabe? So why are they selling, not selling booze, but they're selling- like water and other stuff. I well, this might, you know, uh, who, whom's to my mm. to speculate? Infer. But, or to, yeah, to impugn. But I imagine it's just like, why don't we just use this to not serve alcohol to people that get rowdy on planes? I thought they'd make money out of the booze. Maybe they do, but, you know, then you get someone that gets one too many and starts clowning around when mm. they should be wearing their seatbelts sitting 10 and 2. So, mm. you know, I can see that. But, I need a drink. Staging a mock hijack as a joke or something. We've spent too long on this topic. This time, spent long enough. <laughs> we'll, we'll take our questions off air. Yeah. That is it for the show this week. Thank you to Richard Reardon and Adam and Mia Schlicht. And uh, make sure you're leaving us that five-star review on iTunes. Oh, no, make sure you're leaving us a review on iTunes. Mm. Stars, whatever you believe. Mm. Uh, tell your friends and family about the show if they don't listen already and you think they would like it. And go support our Save Our Pups campaign. See you guys next week. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Saul. See ya.